Hello, everyone, and welcome to the final episode of the Scarecity Horror Podcast of 2023. I'm your host, Doug Plumatello, a filmmaker from Connecticut and the writer and director of the upcoming feature-length film, Halloween Candy. We have a great show today and have a really awesome guest for this final episode of the year. Today on the show, we have Molly Farrell Savage, an amazing costume designer and wardrobe professional. I recently met Molly on a shoot I was working on and was completely blown away by her work. She has an incredible resume working on television and film, including designing costumes for American Horror Story, Manifest, Poker Face, and Hello Tomorrow. She has also worked in the theater for many shows, including Saturday Night Fever, Mamma Mia, A Chorus Line, and Legally Blonde. She has also been seen on TV as a contestant in Project Runway Threads. Molly's work could be seen in the upcoming horror features Bloodline Killer and Founders Day. In today's interview, we discuss the original Scream trilogy. We discuss the films in a way I'm sure has never been covered before as Molly and I discuss the wardrobe of Scream and what the costume design may tell us about the characters and the stories. Without further ado, here is my interview with Molly Farrell Savage. We are here with Molly Farrell Savage. Welcome to the Scarecity Horror Podcast, Molly. Hi. So in our short time on the Scarcity Podcast, we have interviewed writers and directors and producers and makeup artists, but we have never once interviewed a costume designer. So you're the very first. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And you've been a costume designer for several years, right? I have, yeah. I started in fashion and then I did costumes for theater and then I moved more towards film TV and I do a lot of horror. <laughs> ah, there you go. Horror movies. That's where it's at. Yeah. So some people may recognize you. Um, if you're a Project Runway fan, you were on one of the seasons, if I remember correctly. I was. That's right. I did the spinoff Project Runway Threads in 20, I think 2015. Wow. How was that experience? It was good. Doing reality TV. If you've ever been on it, you get it. If you haven't, you probably don't. It's really crazy. Yeah, I was a big reality tv fan until i started working in reality tv yeah i just realized you know it's 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 reality based exactly but it's still tv they still need to pull an audience but yeah what did you learn from that experience i learned that's a good question i definitely learned how to work really efficiently because we were on a deadline I feel like I learned really good networking skills because the groups were small, but uh, we were able to connect with a lot of people from other episodes and other seasons of Project Runway. So that was really great. That had to have been really tough. You know, you're putting your heart and soul into your work and you've probably got very little time to make it. And you're getting criticism from some of the harshest judges out there, but all of America is watching. So that must have been a real challenge. Yeah, definitely. Um, I feel like they definitely went a little bit easier on us because we were younger. I think I was 15 or 16 when I did it. And there were kids on the show that were even younger than me. But yeah, it was definitely hard to know that you were being judged and that things would be edited in a different way than how they were in reality. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a, a very unique production experience, reality TV. So Hopefully you probably got a tougher skin. I do. Yeah, fortunately. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Now you're working on some horror movies right now. You have Founders Day and Bloodline Killer. Talk about those. Yeah, I'm really excited about both of them. Uh, Founders Day is a 
sort of a teen slasher in the vein of Scream, Cherry Falls, that kind of stuff. Um, it was produced by Mainframe, which is a Connecticut-based company. Most of the crew uh, were Connecticut locals, which is really great. I live in Connecticut. Uh, I was able to w- work really close to home. There are also some similarities to the movie Thanksgiving that just came out, but I feel like they're pretty different. But I think the pe- the kind of people that liked Thanksgiving will love Founders Day. And then Bloodline Killer, that also draws inspiration from Scream. There's a little bit of meta stuff going on as far as a movie franchise within the movie, but it also draws inspiration from classics like Halloween, even Saw, uh, which is really cool. And that was also produced in Connecticut. (laughs) Is there an estimated release date for these movies? Yes, Founders Day is coming out in theaters on January 17th. And I'm not sure when Bloodline Killer is coming out, but I believe it's supposed to come out also this winter. Great. It's very exciting. Good time to be a horror fan. There's a lot of stuff coming from different sources. Yeah, for sure. So are things picking up now that the strikes are officially over? Have you seen a, a wider variety of jobs available? They are, slowly but surely. It's a tough time of year, even when there aren't strikes, uh, because we're so close to the holidays. But I'm getting more inquiries than I was when the strikes were happening, which is good. Yeah. Being a costume designer, it's not all about the latest fashions. Like, it's the costumes are a character in a film. They tell so much about the person, the character that's wearing it. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's what I really like about costume design, because I did fashion and I feel like so much of that is based on what you want to create and I love the collaborative world building aspect of costume design. You've also done a lot of costume design for Broadway plays and musicals. Talk about your work in the theater. I have done a lot of stuff locally. I did um, a chorus line. I did Mamma Mia. A lot of the big musicals and smaller plays. I also worked on the, uh, the National Tour of a Bronx Tale. Yeah, so the same as acting is different on screen as in the theater. You know, for the, the screen, you can act for right here versus the theater, you got to act for the person in the back. Yeah, same thing absolutely. is your, your costume design. For a film, you, you could be more subtle. And for Broadway, you need to make sure everyone in the audience can see what, what the character is wearing. Yeah, I can actually, I can usually tell when a costume designer for a film came from theater because the jewelry is massive and you're like, Especially in those close-up shots, you're like, "Why are the earrings so big?" Wow, so that's very interesting. See, we yeah. we aim to teach here at the Scare Sip Horror Podcast. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna look out for that stuff now when I watch these movies. <laughs> so, which leads us to today's discussion. We are going to talk about the original Scream trilogy. How were you introduced to the Scream movies? That's a great question. I think I was introduced to Scream just from Tumblr. I was like like a Tumblr kid. So I would always see gifts of movies and anything that looked cool. I would be like, Oh, what is that? And then I would go watch the movie. Yeah. Scream was definitely a game changer. If you were born after that date, it's kind of hard to imagine how it was before, but we had several years of kind of dark times in the horror industry. Mm -hmm. You had good movies, but I always felt that the horror genre was still using the tools from the 80s yeah you know up to the early and mid 90s and for the most part 
they were starting to show some signs of wear and tear, a, a lot of the formula from the 80s. And Scream really changed the game. It really did. It came out in December of 96. And I always say that that was a moment when horror changed, at least for the next 10 years, was release of Scream. What were your thoughts on Pond seeing it for the first time? I think uh, I thought it was really fun when I saw it for the first time. There's a lot of meta stuff in it, but it was meta in a way that was very showed a lot of respect for horror and the genre. It wasn't really, it wasn't not making fun of itself. That was sort of not taking itself too seriously, but also had a really high level of respectability, which I thought was really unique. Yeah, it was self-referential. It really broke down the horror industry from the past 15 years. Yeah. Like watching a magic show, once you've seen how the trick is done, it's hard to watch it again. With Scream, the film broke down the rules of the horror genre. So it's kind of forced the genre filmmakers to change. The genre was also treated with a kind of prestige that it hadn't been treated for in a long time. Yeah. You know, you had people that were on television. You had stars that were, you know, A-list stars that were in the film, like Courtney Cox, you know, Nev Campbell and Drew Barrymore. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it really took, it, horror really took a turn. I always say it was the rule of 18. 18 years is, is roughly a generation. In 1960, you had Psycho that came out. And that really transformed the horror genre. 18 years later, you had Halloween, which Halloween now transcended and changed the horror genre. It got a a slew of imitations. 18 years later, you have Scream, which now dissected the previous rules of horror and created another golden age of the horror film. So, although my rule of 18 didn't really happen (laughs) 18 years after Scream, but I think the horror genre really, you had a lot more subgenres. Yeah, definitely. And maybe that's what the the rule of 18, maybe by the next time there was the next generation, it really became a lot of subgenres. But Scream really did change the game. A key component to Scream actually was the wardrobe. A lot of people may or may not realize how important the wardrobe was for Scream. Are there, are there any outfits or is there anything that stood out to you from a costume designer point of view? One thing, this is uh, maybe more hair than wardrobe, but I thought it was so interesting how Drew Barrymore had that really distinct wig. Because obviously, you know that it's Drew Barrymore, but it was like they didn't want her to be Drew Barrymore. They just wanted her to be a different character. Um, and especially in the 90s when she was so well-known and so popular, and she still is. I just thought that was really interesting. This happens a lot in horror movies. When an, an actress is shooting something else or has to cut her hair, and so they'll put a wig on her for a specific movie. Like Halloween 2, Lori had to wear the wig because she was mm-hmm. shooting something else and she had lopped off all of her hair. And then I want to say the third scream, I want to say, same thing with Nev Campbell. She had she actually grew her hair long for a film, and so they, they had to hide that under the wig because it wouldn't have fit her character. Oh. So it's interesting that you mentioned the hair. I'm not entirely sure of the backstory of, of the hair, but there's a, there's a reason for every choice. Nothing is by accident in these movies. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So those at home may be wondering why we are doing a Scream retrospective in December. Well... There's a reason for that. The The original Scream came out December 20th, 1996. And the sequel came out also in December the following year. So 
for me personally, and I know that I'm I'm pretty sure there's others that do the same to us. It's not a Christmas movie, but we think to December when we watch Scream because that's when we probably all saw it in the theaters together. So it's this uh, an interesting note. Yeah, that's so yeah. interesting. One thing about Scream that I never noticed is the costume designer, she created Sydney's outfit to make her a possible red herring that she could have been the killer. Oh, I never wow. felt that <laughs> before. <laughs> but I guess they gave her like baggier pants and like the yeah. baggy oh. gray sweater. So, and kind of tomboyish. I didn't pick up on that, but it's interesting that that was actually a choice. Oh, in hindsight, that makes a lot of sense because I just rewatched all three and I thought her transformation between one and two and then into three was so interesting because she did wear more like baggy, loose fitting kind of tomboyish clothes in one. And then like at the party in two, she had that like tight kind of sheer top and more trendy outfits. So that's very interesting and makes sense. Yeah, it definitely does. But it's interesting. I wonder how many people actually (laughs) watched it and thought, could Sydney be a killer? Because that definitely, I definitely didn't get that vibe, but it's a, it's a very interesting choice. But yeah. yeah, another character in the movie, Gail Weathers, we first see her has this bright, bright green, lime green suit that she's wearing. And that says a lot about her character. She wants to stand out. She wants to be seen. She's Gail Weathers. What do you think about Gail's outfits in this movie? It's so interesting that you mention that green suit because a rule in costume design is if you don't want to draw attention, don't use green because it will be the most eye-catching thing on stage, on screen. And then, of course, for green screen, you definitely wouldn't want to. So the fact that she did wear a color that you can't help but look at makes so much sense for for Gail. Yeah, absolutely. Any other costumes stand out to you from this? Um, everything that Rose McGowan's character wore was, I feel like, so 90s, so not that I, you know, was really alive for it, but, um, a lot of those, like, little skirts and the plaid and the little sweaters, it really, looking back, you feel super immersed in the time that it took place in, even if you didn't actually live through it. Yeah, the costume designer wanted to make her LA is the, is the look that she was going for. <laughs> But a lot of people noticed the shirt that Rose McGowan was wearing with the number 10 on it. And mm-hmm. in, in Wes Craven's Nightmare on Elm Street film, Johnny Depp has the number 10 on his shirt. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And some people claim it to be a coincidence, but I don't think so. That's pretty spot on. No, yeah, that probably was intentional. Yeah. So there's a jacket that Courtney Cox wore at the end of the film. It was a red Moschino. Is that my pronouncing that right? Moschino. Moschino. So she had this red Moschino jacket, and it's the same exact jacket that Lisa Kudrow wore in Romy Michelle's high school reunion. Oh my gosh, that is so crazy. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know, her looking out for her friend's co star. Oh, I love that. There's another interesting, this is one that might be a coincidence, but I don't think so. So there was the scene when uh, Principal Hembury has those two guys in the office and he's like, they were wearing the ghost face mask and it was just a big prank. Mm-hmm. Interesting enough, both of those characters had the same patterns. One was a white shirt, I believe. One was a plaid shirt. Had the same patterns that Billy and Stu would have at the end of the film. Mm. Might have been a coincidence. I know that was a popular look back then, but 
Or could that have been a foretelling sign for what was to come? Oh, no, yeah. I feel like that was definitely some symbolism. Yeah. So a lot of references in Scream. Remember I mentioned my rule of 18? Yes. So in Psycho, we had a character, Sam Loomis. In Halloween, we also had a Sam Loomis, which is referencing Psycho. And now in Scream, we had Billy Loomis. It was a nod to, to the two Loomises that came prior to him. So there's a lot of references to earlier films that created the horror genre or really like really stood out. There's a ton of there's a ton of references to Halloween in the film. You know, with the line about going down the street to the McKenzie's. There was the fun scene when Jamie Kennedy is watching Halloween at the end. Mm-hmm. And he's he's telling Jamie Lee Curtis, Jamie, watch out, Jamie, he's right behind you. So in a in a meta move, Jamie Kennedy is talking to himself <laughs> through Halloween because yeah. Ghostface is behind him and he's like, Jamie, move out of the way. That was kind of fun. Oh, I love yeah. that. Yeah, so there, there's a there's a lot going on in these films. You know, it's, it's kind of fun. You can watch a movie and be entertained, follow the storyline. But then when you really dig deep, there's a lot of little fun things that that make the movie that most people wouldn't even pick up on. You know, but it helps it helps make it a a great experience upon second and third and fourth viewings of these movies. Definitely. It's interesting going back to that very first stream because all those references that you mentioned in, uh, most of them I didn't even realize. They were so subtle. Um, and then later they do get a little more explicit. Uh which is so funny to me. Yeah, there was there was a lot. <laughs> were you surprised by the ending? Oh, do you do you remember the first time you watched it? Who were you expecting the killer to be? Ooh, it might have. I don't remember the first time I watched it. It might have been spoiled for me already. I don't remember being super shocked, but I can imagine seeing it for the first time with you know that fake out. It was probably really surprising. They did a lot of little things with wardrobe to try to throw off the um, the audience. Yeah, like the the cop in the movie, his name has slipped my mind, but he was wearing the same boots that Ghostface would wear. Oh, so that was a little red herring. You know, could it possibly mm-hmm. be the cop? I know the dad was a suspect. You know, where's where's the, yeah? They just kind of threw it. It was kind of a throwaway line. They were like, oh, where, where is her dad in all this? It's kind yeah. of a little kernel to maybe have people maybe think maybe the dad's doing this. But yeah, I remember being really surprised because I don't remember ever having two killers in a movie. Yeah, that was that was the that was the big throw. Usually, when in a, in a murder mystery, you find out that it's oh it was that guy or that that girl, but no one expected both of them to be killers. Absolutely. So that, that was kind of fun. And that kind of continued for the majority of the series that there there was a couple killers. Except for the third one. But we'll get there. There's yeah. theories behind that one. So yeah, and any final thoughts on the original Scream? Amazing how much it has inspired other movies that came after it and really, like you said, gave a lot of prestige to the horror genre absolutely great we're gonna move ahead to scream 2 scream 2 came out december 12 1997 and the new film takes us to windsor college in ohio where sydney prescott is a now a college student 
when a, a phone call brings back a familiar voice. What are your thoughts on Scream 2? I really liked Scream 2. I think um, the cast, uh, seeing so many like well-known people like Jada Pinkett Smith is just like randomly in the movie very briefly and Laurie Metcalf who is so talented and anything that she's in she just totally steals the show I liked a lot of the changes uh, like I mentioned the changes to Sydney's wardrobe I feel like she has a huge trans- transformation that also really comes across character wise she's definitely more she seems a little less afraid and more ready to go after the killer, which is really cool. So blending both your loves of fashion and horror movies, what what was your thoughts on the production they were putting on? Were you happy with the costumes chosen (laughs) for the play she was doing? Yeah, I actually was. Um, I loved how, I think when a lot of people think of Greek and Greek mythology, they think, Everyone's in white or beige. I love that she had that red sort of Grecian dress. Um, I don't know if they chose red because it's blood, which is so obvious, or it just looked so like beautiful and it was really eye-catching. <laughs> yeah, both these screen movies, actually, believe it or not, because the first one came out so late in the year, mm-hmm. that both of these movies, one and two, were amongst the highest grossing films of 1997. Wow, that's amazing. And Scream was such a powerhouse. That both Titanic and Tomorrow Never Dies, which was the James Bond film, both shifted their dates in order to not compete with Scream 2. <laughs> so it's kind of funny in hindsight with how well Titanic did that Titanic actually moved to avoid going against the horror totally. movie. That would never happen years earlier. Yeah. It shows you the strength of, of Scream that these giant multi-million dollar, you know, $300 million movies were shifting the release date to avoid Ghostface, which is kind of fun. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. What did you think of the killer reveal in Scream 2? Oh, I loved the killer reveal. Um, I think that might be... I think because I was... I I do think one had ended up up being spoiled for me, uh, thinking back. Two definitely wasn't, so I did not see that coming at all. I the second killer being uh Debbie Laurie Metcalf Mrs. Loomis was definitely it elevated that whole scene so much. I had a hard time watching that scene only because I'm a huge Roseanne fan. And seeing Aunt Jackie as the killer, I was like, oh my god, I've never seen her like this before. Wow, that's so funny because I, um, my mom loves Roseanne. I grew up on Desperate Housewives where she also plays this really kooky character who's a killer. So I feel like whenever I see Laurie Metcalf, I'm like, oh, what's she going to do? Yeah, she, like you said, she steals every scene she's in and everything I've seen her in. Yeah. Unbelievable. So interesting enough, this film did suffer some challenges. Oh, really? Um, Primarily, the the script was leaked, mm. and the, the ending ended up on the internet. So they actually reshot it, and they changed some of the killers, believe it or not. Wow. Yeah, I want to see the original killer. Uh, Nancy, who's um, Laurie Metcalf's character, Nancy Loomis, was <sighs> always the killer, but her accomplices were actually Derek, which was Sydney's boyfriend. Oh, wow. That's so interesting. And... 
Yeah, and Haley, which I believe that was her her roommate. Okay, yeah. So they were both killers in that film. Whoa. And so a lot of the scenes that you see, you know, they were probably filmed before the they knew that they're going to reshoot it. So the way the way Derek, yeah. um, what's the sorry, what's the actor's name? Jerry O'Connell. The way Jerry O'Connell was acting is he was acting as if he was the killer because. In his mind, he was because the change was was very late after the movie was filmed. The script got out there, and they had to they had to redo the ending with those two as the killer. So interesting, yeah. Oh wow! Because I remember thinking when I was watching it, I was like, "No way, this guy's the killer! No way, this guy's the killer!" So to hear that, I'm like, "Oh wait!" At one point, he was. That would have really messed up Sydney if if two boyfriends in a row ended up trying to kill her. For sure. I wonder what their motives would have been in this. Yeah, right? And Unless they would use the same as Mickey when he followed her on the internet or he met her in a chat yeah. room. So yeah. I, maybe that would have been the same explanation, but with Derek and Haley. But the fact that it was never Cotton is um, also really interesting. Because there were some moments where he was like kind of kooky. <laughs> it's funny that you say Cotton, because I, I don't remember mm-hmm. if it was two or three might have been two, but at one point, Cotton, there there was one version when Cotton and Sydney end up dying together. So uh, Cotton was the killer in oh. one of the scripts. I don't know how serious, mm-hmm. how far along that script was to becoming the film, like how close to, to shooting that was. But at one point, yeah. there is a script with him being the killer and both him and Sydney die at the end next to each other. Whoa. So clearly they were looking to end the franchise. and <laughs> But yeah, so they... You know, there wasn't a very long production time for Scream 2. You know, it came out less than a year after the first one. Mm-hmm. So to have that many script changes in that sort of a period of time must have been challenging. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was a fun movie, though. And that birthed Scream 3. Scream 3 was originally supposed to come out in December of 99, but actually got pushed back to February. Oh. That was another troubling production. So I'm sure you've heard about this before you were born, but I'm sure you've heard about the Columbine shootings. Yes, of course. Yeah. So, you know, two, this is a real life incident when two guys like went to their school of guns and gunned a bunch of people down. So movies became a real target as far as violence. Movies and video games were kind of, you know, public enemy number one as far as violence. So Scream 3, there's very little blood in this movie. And that's by design. The studio was like, don't show any blood in this film. Mm. And there's actually rumors that's why this movie had one killer. Wow. It's because they don't they didn't want two killers because people might think it's too similar to mm. reality. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on Scream 3? I liked Scream 3. It um I think it could have been a little shorter. It's like a full two hours long, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's the longest one. It was really long, but um overall I think there's really good stuff. I love Parker Posey. I loved her character and her with Courtney Cox because they're both just such, their characters are such large personalities. Them playing off of each other I thought was great. I liked how she did dress just like Gail Weathers. And I noticed, uh, I mentioned previously, like huge jewelry. Um, They both had these awful, like gaudy, like giant necklaces, but they worked perfectly for the character because you couldn't not look at them. I loved how um, Parker Posey, how the scene when her and Gail are investigating and she's staying in character. She's trying to be Gail, even though she's with Gail. 
Exactly. The dedication of her of her character in the movie. It's it, it's a fun. She's a fun character for sure. Yeah. And um I also thought it was so interesting how they used the characters, the the fake actors names of popular actors, Angelina and Jennifer, um Jolie and Prince, like Yeah, th- definitely not by accident. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, those were fun. And there was a couple of little Easter eggs wardrobe wise yeah so sydney's wearing the greek letters that were given to her by derek in the previous movie before he was killed i thought that was a fun little detail to add to sydney's character definitely anything else wardrobe wise stand out to you in this film yeah huge um the sort of um wardrobe regression of sydney because she did go back to wearing really layered kind of more tomboyish clothing that she had in the second movie that immediately stood out to me. So one thing we need to point out, unfortunately, are Courtney Cox's bangs. Were you a fan of those bangs? They were... That was the real horror of the movie. <laughs> as soon as she came out with those bangs, I felt, oh my gosh, this is going to set the tone really negatively. Um, and... I think that uh, as far as her character and um, I think Parker Posey added a lot and um, of course having Dewey back who was played by her, were they married at the time? Uh, David Arquette? I believe they got married shortly after three. Okay. Could be wrong. Yeah. They got around that time. They yeah. Got married. Her then husband who um, they have such great chemistry on screen. But yeah, I was like, girl, this is not going to be good for you. As soon as I saw her bangs. <laughs> you know whose idea those bangs were? Oh no, were they hers? David Arquette. And that's why they're divorced. He wanted <laughs> he wanted her to be like Betty Page, who was a big model in like the sixties or so. And she had these those similar bangs. But you know what? You know what else is crazy about those bangs? What? Is I read that they were actually a clip on. Oh. Okay. So they put those on every day. They decided every day that was a great idea. Good for them. Yeah, it was a choice for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I think the movie in general, it was fun. They had a couple things that kind of changed the rules a little bit of the reality mm-hmm. that the first two were based on. Like, you know, like the voice changer didn't really work for me as well because at the time that wasn't yeah. didn't exist yet. Mm-hmm. You know, the dream sequences or something that we didn't see in the first two movies. Yeah. And uh, the fax machine death, I thought was just a little bit too... Hollywood for me. Especially since you only have one killer in this one. Yeah. In the previous couple movies, you had two killers, which makes it more believable that they'd be able to pull off the stunts that they do. Exactly. A lot of the chase sequences, but in this film, there's only one, so a couple of the deaths aren't as realistic. But this is a theory that I think actually is based on reality. So, you know, the the character who was playing Sydney in the movie? Yes. Angelina? Mm-hmm. She was originally the second killer. Oh, that would have made a lot more sense. I would have loved that. So the scene that she was in the bathroom and Sydney comes in and she kind of hides her feet. Mm-hmm. I think the excuse she gives is that, oh, I just wanted a few props. But in the movie world, maybe she got caught then. Yeah. Maybe she was trying to get Sydney, but actually got caught. So I had to make a quick excuse up. We never actually see her die. She dies off camera, mm-hmm. which would lead to her returning as one of the, the killers at the end. But oh, that would have been so good. 
I think she was removed. That might have been, it came from the, the Weinsteins to remove one of the killers because of the Columbine incident. And so that might be why she was removed. But I'd be interested right. to see if anything was filmed with her as one of the killers. Yeah, totally. That would be fun. So it turns out that the killer is Roman, the director of Stab 3, who is Sydney's brother that she never knew she had. The final scene takes place in the producer's private screening room, where Roman was conceived all those years ago. This is where the original trilogy comes to an end. Yeah, that whole reveal, I feel like, in hindsight, was next level meta, uh, given, you know, the film was produced by Miramax and the Weinsteins, and there's the whole theme of, you know, exploitation of female actors. Uh, So that's very interesting because it probably was not intentional <laughs> which is amazing that's uh, shows Wes craven's power then that you know yeah yeah i'm sure everyone knows about the weinstein incident his disgusting behavior which landed him behind bars and so there's a whole subplot in this film about this old movie producer that would take advantage of these young actresses <laughs> and so you know, Harvey Weinstein, when he sees the movie, what's he going to say? Take this out? Because that's he's going to be, you know, admitting guilt. So Yeah, exactly. It was the Wes Craven that he pretty much made a Weinstein character in the film and said, screw you, Harvey. Yeah, that's super iconic, honestly. <laughs> yeah. So it was good. I think that overall the film wasn't as good as the first two, but they had some fun set pieces. I really like when they went back to the recreation of, of Sydney's house. Yeah, that was great. That was kind of fun. And, you know, when she thinks there's going to be another room, she almost falls off the set because it is a set. <laughs> yeah. I think people who um, have been on film sets especially will appreciate that, um, especially when you're in really hyper-realistic ones, if you're ever in a hostel set but nothing works. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, and there was a bunch of fun references that weren't as – Noticeable as the original movie's references, but there are some fun lines with Jen McCarthy's character. Oh, yeah. Complaining that her character in Stab 3, she only lives for two scenes. She dies <laughs> in the second scene, and her character in Scream 3 dies in the second scene. Yeah. <laughs> it's just kind of kind of fun. And then Cotton Weary at the beginning is complaining about, oh, uh, he turned on the role because he dies in the first scene. Mm-hmm. In Scream 3, Cotton Weary dies in the first scene. So there's a lot of fun references. They're not as they're a lot more subtle than the first movies, but yes. they're fun though. They show there's a lot of love went into these movies. I loved the um little cameo by Carrie Fisher where she's not playing herself. But I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, Scream was really doing meta before meta was even a thing. Yeah. <laughs> and they did it very well. Yeah. She says, Oh, Carrie Fisher slept with the director and then she got the role. Yep. That's kind of fun. That's a, <laughs> that's a fun scene. So another little fun fact is the house at the end, Roman's house. Mm-hmm. Or, well, actually, it wasn't Roman's house. It was the producer's house. Yes. But it was the same house used in Halloween H2O. Oh, my. Th- whoa. Yeah. That makes so much sense. The entire time I was thinking, why is this giving me Halloween H20 vibes? Maybe it's because they came out around the same, you know, they were both from the 90s, roughly. But wow, that makes so much sense now. The entire time I was thinking that. Yeah, there's probably only about a year and a half between between those movies. Yeah, because um, H20 is probably my favorite horror movie. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, I like H2O. That was a fun movie. 
we had a our one of our first episodes we did a halloween retrospective and we ranked all the halloween films in order mm-hmm. i think i had h2o either in my third or fourth spot i had it it was high yeah. it was a fun movie for sure it's quick gets to the point exactly it's so dynamic which i love yeah it's good any time of year Another fun connection, H2O actually had some of the soundtrack from Scream. Oh, I'll have to go back and watch it then. That's interesting. Yeah, there's a few scenes. If you look at it on YouTube, you can see it. That I guess right before the movie came out, they weren't happy with the score. Mm-hmm. And so since they also owned Scream, they took some of the bites from Scream and Scream 2 and used them in H2O. Oh, okay. Yeah. Kind of a fun little connection between the two films. Any last thoughts on Scream 3 or the Scream franchise? Uh, it was nice to see Patrick Dempsey in it. Uh, he's kind of become sort of a small like king of horror now, especially since Thanksgiving, if you saw that. Yeah, this was a few years before he would blow up in Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of fun. At the time, Patrick Dempsey was around for a little while, but he wasn't. Not everyone knew who he was. So it's mm-hmm. fun when you rewatch Scream 3. You're like, holy crap, that was Patrick Dempsey? For sure, because he's such a big star now. His role wasn't very big. Right. So that was fun. So that was the original Scream trilogy. And of course, everyone knows the franchise continued on with Scream 4 about 10 or 11 years later. And then we had Scream 5 and 6. But I always considered that original trilogy was a complete trilogy. That's why I thought it was, I wanted to cover that on its own and not lumped in with an entire franchise because those three movies really tie together nicely. Absolutely. So we are now on the fun part of the podcast. Everyone's favorite segments, 13 questions. Yeah. Are you familiar with 13 questions? I'm not. So 13 questions is our segment. I ask 13 questions. They could be about anything. So there's no wrong answers. It's whatever comes to the top of your head. Okay, great. You ready? Mm-hmm. 13 questions with Molly Farrell Savage. First question. Favorite candy? My favorite candy is Kit Kats. Ooh, very nice. They make a cereal now for Kit Kat. Oh, sounds dangerous. <laughs> I'm sure it's not good for you, but I'm sure it's freaking amazing. Yeah, I bet it's great. <laughs> favorite ice cream flavor? Favorite ice cream flavor, Jerry Garcia. Ooh, very nice. Favorite filmmaker? Ooh, David Lynch. Favorite horror filmmaker? Favorite horror filmmaker? Uh, um, John Carpenter. Who's your favorite scream queen? Favorite scream queen is Jamie Lee Curtis. And for this next question, we can include all six of the scream movies for your answer. Who was the most shocking Scream Killer reveal? Most shocking Scream Killer reveal. For me, I think it might have been um, Laurie Metcalf, uh, Mrs. Loomis, as, uh, in the second movie. Yeah. At that point, I'm, I'm with you. I was, <laughs> She was Aunt Jackie to me. So to see her become a real psychopath was strange to see, but amazingly believable yeah who wore the bangs better courtney cox and scream three or jim carrey and dumb and dumber i guess courtney cox i guess which horror villain has the best threads oh 
That is a great question. Um, I'm, I think I'm going to shout out the skeleton in Bloodline Killer, which no one's seen yet, but <laughs> you'll be able to soon. Yeah, we're looking forward to that. Everyone keep your eyes out for Bloodline Killer coming soon. Great question number 10. Best dressed character in the Scream franchise. Best dressed character in the Scream franchise is Portia de Rossi, whatever her character's name was, the sorority girl. <laughs> cool. What horror movie would make the best Broadway musical? I think I'm going to say Happy Death Day. It's um, maybe a little more uh, comedy slasher than horror, but I feel like it's still a part of the sh- subgenre and would be fun. Does that spark any ideas for wardrobe if you were to be the costume designer? Absolutely. Nice. What is the best advice you have ever received? The best advice that I've ever received is probably do as much as you can while you're young and set a really good foundation, whether that's in your career, financial, uh, personal relationships. Great. Last question, sadly. If you can go back to 2014 and give Molly advice on Project One Way, what would it be? People won't get this reference unless they've seen my episode, but don't try to glue a dress together. It won't work. (laughs) It sounds like that would be a challenging proposition. Oh, yes. Have you gone back and watched any of your old episodes? Is it streaming anywhere? That's a good question. I'm not sure if it is. There are clips on YouTube, and I rewatched my episode back in uh, at the beginning of COVID when... There was nothing to do. I said it was my BoJack era. <laughs> yeah, so there's a couple of clips on YouTube, a couple of the judging segments. So that's kind of fun. Yeah, super cringe, but funny for sure. Is it hard to watch yourself? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't listen to myself doing podcasts. It's really hard seeing yourself, either hearing yourself or seeing yourself. I saw a meme on Facebook today where it said something like, if you're able to listen to yourself, in audio, that's the ultimate sign of self-confidence. Really? Yeah. Yeah, that is completely true. <laughs> that, that's a, You can learn a lot from memes out there. Definitely. Yeah, there's, you know, a lot of them are funny, but occasionally you see one, you're like, wow, I never thought of it that way. So, <laughs> so that's it. That's 13 questions with Molly. Well, sadly, this is the end of our podcast. Let us know, where can we find you on the interwebs? Totally. My website is designermolly.com, all one word. On Instagram, I am life15juicy, L-I-F-E, numbers 1-5-J-U-I-C-Y. Yeah, I've checked out your Instagram. You got a lot of fun stuff, a lot of your work that you've posted onto your Instagram. So check out Molly's Instagram. And yeah, very excited to see your work in, in future films. And you got stuff coming out soon. So everyone keep a lookout for the costumes in these Founders Day and Bloodline Killer to see some of Molly's work. Thanks so much. I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, thanks for being here. I want to thank Molly for joining us in the final podcast of the year. I learned a lot in this interview as we took a look at the costume design of the legendary Scream series. If you haven't seen Molly's work yet, I'm sure you all will soon as she continues to bring her talents to a variety of big projects. If you have any questions or comments for the show, please send us a DM on our Instagram at scared underscore stiff underscore films or through the Scared Stiff Facebook page. Thanks, everyone, and we will see you all in the next episode. Happy New Year!